Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote, and we are so excited to have you with us and also to have our guest with us today. This is part two with Chip Thompson. These last several years, maybe it's even been a decade, I'm not sure, Chip, but um, God has really opened up to you the opportunity, one, to make multiple trips to Israel and to build a Bible museum right in Ephraim, Utah. And so anybody who's listening to this, and if you're in the Ephraim area, go to the Solid Rock Cafe. And inside the Solid Rock Cafe, not only are there like great things to eat and drink, but there's this Bible museum where you actually see some of these artifacts and meet Chip. So that's kind of our plug for <laughs> Trigation Ministries and Chip Thompson and <clears throat> Solid Rock Cafe. Um, Chip, um, one of the things we talked about in our last episode was just the amount of pottery from biblical times that's still available. It dates back. And... What I wanted to ask you was, because you actually showed us, and there'll be pictures in the show notes, um, an oil lamp from the time of Abraham. Right. So my question is, how do we know that stuff is from the timeframes people are saying, the time of Abraham, the time of David, um, Hezekiah? Why is it that archaeologists are so enamored with pottery and invest so much time in studying it? So there was a, an archaeologist in the 1930s whose name was John Garstang. He realized that pottery could be used in dating the ages of different archaeological layers. And so he started to isolate certain kinds of pottery that dated to different time periods. And just like automobiles, like if you if I show you a picture of a Model T Ford, you can say, oh yep. yeah, that's a Model T Ford. That's a, <laughs> yep. that because you can tell by the body style. And then if I show you a picture of a 68 Camaro, you can say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's a 68 Camaro or a 55 yep. Chevy, you know, the, because the body styles are different. Pottery does the same thing over time. It evolves and different potters come into the scene. They create their handles a little bit differently. They create the rims a little bit differently. And pottery, just like automobiles, it was popular because mm -hmm. um rich people would buy pottery that was painted i have a some pieces of painted pottery here so this is from jericho can you see the painting on that mm. pottery oh yeah cool. so that that pottery that's very distinct late bronze age painted pottery and so this pottery is what they call cypriot imitation pottery which cypriot pottery came from cyprus and it was very decorative and beautiful and rich people bought it because it was expensive. Well, the Canaanites tried to mimic that. And so we have that. So within, within pottery, so I'm going to show you again, this oil lamp, this is late bronze. Okay, this is cool. Middle, early to middle bronze age oil lamp, 4,000 years old. And this one is iron age oil lamp from the time period of King David. They don't, look exactly the same they change and then as you get farther along uh, the, the lamps change even more so you have lots of different 
means by which you can date things. So some of them are coins. When you get to get into the age of coins, you can date things very precisely. We know right. exactly when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD because all the coins that were buried by the Romans pushing the temple off of the Temple Mount dated to, to 70 AD and no farther. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. So those coins date that. We have weapons and the weapons of the Canaanites, the weapons of the Israelites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, they're all different. They all look different. And if I, right. if I could show you that I have some of each of those, and I could show you how each different weapon looks differently. So if you're digging into a destruction and you find arrowheads, then you can tell who destroyed that city and what time period that would have been. So it's very precise um, within reason. Um, yeah. Not like when when the, the the age changed from Middle Bronze Age to Late Bronze Age, nobody went around and said, "Okay, everybody, we're going to do a transition now from <laughs> Middle Bronze to Late Bronze." So, yes. So everybody start changing your pottery handles to look like this now. So it, it was a gradual process, but eventually right. every so it, it's a way of dating things. Yeah, within yeah. reason. And that car, that car analogy is so helpful because the same thing happens with automobiles. So yeah, you may not be able to know, you know, was this a car from 65 or 66, right. um, 68, but man, by the time you get into 72 or 73, you know, that's not a sixties car. That's a seventies right. car. And the same thing with pottery and weaponry. And, and this is all stuff established by secular archeologists. This is not simply right. biblical archeologists. They're simply taking the methods and the discoveries and all these things and they're simply using what's already been established to then right. bring biblical archaeology um to bear right lynn look like you were going to jump in with well something. you just addressed my question thank you <laughs> no my my question is why should i trust a biblical archaeologist are you telling me that people who believe the bible have figured these things out or it, are there broader secular archaeologists who have <clears throat> also confirmed what you're telling me all right so um in regard to archaeology manuscripts are vitally important and so i'm going to quote there's a there's an archaeologist who's excavated in this the biblical city of hazor which was the capital city of the canaanites and his name is amnon bentor and he's a, a hebrew archaeologist and if you ask him you know what is the most important part of archaeology what's the most important tool in archaeology he will say um manuscripts are vital Without the manuscript, all you have is bones and dirt and rocks and butts. The manuscript is the soul of archaeology. So wow. within archaeology, mm. the soul of archaeology is the manuscript because without it, you might be able to determine, well, maybe the Romans destroyed this city, but, or maybe this, or maybe that happened, but you don't have any context uh, behind it. With, with the written context, you can look for particular things. I'll give you an example. So in Samaria, the Bible very clearly tells us that King Ahab decorated his palace with ivory. He had ivory inlays decorating his palace. Okay. So when they so when they excavated Samaria, they were looking for ivory. And they found more uh -huh. ivory in Samaria than in any other city because the text told them what they were going to find before they got there. And I actually have a Samaritan ivory. 
So this is probably really? one of the rarest pieces in my museum. Can you see this? Hang on, okay. I'm gonna zoom. I'm gonna zoom into you, Chip, so we can see that. Okay. Um, so this this is a Astarte, which is a female fertility idol. This is a very particular um, image because this is what they call the woman in the window. All right. So what's on top of her head looks like a hat. It's not. It's a window frame. And I'm going to show you a picture. So I'm going to try to go into my photographs and see if I can show you this. All right. So can you see this picture now? Yeah. Okay. Is that visible now? Yes. Okay. So that is the woman in the window. This is the, the image that they found. It's ivory inlay or ivory carving that was in King Ahab's palace. And that woman in the window is the same woman that's on the little idol that I have. All right. So wow. So on that image, there's not like an inscription. It doesn't say who this woman is. But archaeologists say, if you're going to put up a pretty picture of a woman in your throne room, it better be your queen. <laughs> right? I mean, Something's otherwise never you're going to be in trouble with the queen. So who was Ahab's queen? Do you remember? She's notorious. Jezebel. Yeah. Jezebel. So probably that is the image of Jezebel's face. Wow. And there's actually a verse in the Bible that says that Jezebel she put paint on her face she fixed her hair and she looked out of a window as jehu was coming into the city of jezreel and so this is probably that image of jezebel looking out of a window at the people coming into the city so anyway that's just something that wow. is interesting fascinating okay all right so here's what i need to explain there's biblical secular archaeology and there's biblical Christian archaeology. And biblical secular archaeology uses the Bible sparingly. If it agrees with what they think they're finding, then they'll mention it. But Christian archaeology will use the Bible as their source, which makes all the difference in the world. And I know I understand the reason why secular archaeology doesn't want to trust the bible explicitly because every archaeologist does a study on ancient religious texts and literally all ancient religious texts are myth except for the bible so as they're studying ancient wow. religious texts they're all myth and so when they look at the bible they view it the same way but when you talk about myth there we don't have geography that matches real geography. We don't have people, names of people that match real people. We don't have places that match real places. The Bible is full of real people, real places, real geography, real archaeology that matches the Bible, which means it's not a myth. And right. I, I would say the story of David and Goliath is the perfect example of that. Okay. Yeah. How? In what way? All right. So the story of David and Goliath in that story, the Bible tells us exactly where the battle happened. And Lynn, you'll remember, we took you to the battlefield. Yes, I have stones from, <laughs> yes. the... <laughs> from the book, from the brook, Cherith. Or... All right. Oh, so... Yeah, from the brook that you think that uh, David would have picked up. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to the biblical text, it tells you that the, the Philistines 
were gathered at a small Judahite city called Zoko. And the battle took place between Zoko and Azekah, another, another Israelite city. And those two cities are only like a quarter of a mile apart. So they're very close to each other. The Israelites gathered their armies on one side of a valley called the Valley of Elah, which we still know where that is today. The Philistines were on the other side of the valley of Elah attacking Zoko. And so we can pinpoint that spot on the map. So we take our tour groups there and we explain from the geography, this is where that battle happened. Um, <clears throat> then within that story, we've got specific names of people. So we've got King right. Saul and we know where his palace was. They've, they've excavated King Saul's palace. He's a real person. Um, it's still called Saul of Gibeah today. So it's uh, it's the okay. the place is called Gibeah where his palace was and his and his he, that's where he lived. Um, then we also have King David in archaeology, and if you want me to, I can go to the thing again, but I don't need to necessarily. So there's a an inscription called the Teldan inscription, and I'll send this to Joel. He can insert it into this okay. into my talk. All right. So we have the to the Teldan inscription that has King David's name mentioned specifically, the house of David mentioned in the Teldan inscription. Um, from less than 100 years after King David was king. So there's no doubt King David existed. We've got his name in an inscription. And then the very first year I went to Israel, we went to the city of Gath, which is the hometown of Goliath, according to the Bible. Yep. And I met the archaeologist that excavates there. His name is Aaron Mayer. And he's a Hebrew archaeologist with a really strong accent as well. And so when he found out that I was visiting, he said, so what, what brings you to Israel? You know, he's asking me these questions as well. I wanted to see as many biblical sites as I could see. He says, ah, you believe in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, I, I believe in the Bible. <laughs> yes. He said, do you believe in a person from the Bible called Goliath? And I'm like, yeah, I believe in Goliath. And then he said this, and I'll never forget this. He said, I can prove Goliath existed. And I'm like, wow. What? He says, I can prove Goliath existed. And I said, how can you prove that? He said, because I found a piece of pottery with his name on it. Now, I have a picture wow. of that as well. I'll send that to you and you can put okay. it into the, into, the, into the video. And so they found a piece of archaeology, a, a shard of archaeology with Goliath's name inscribed on it in ancient Canaanites. That's the time period of the Canaanites or the Phoenicians. And if he is a military hero... It makes sense. Right. He'd have his name on stuff. I mean, people lauded their heroes just like we do today. So, right. wow. So, yeah. So, so we can prove the main players in this story were real people by the, by the inscriptions that we have that have, that have their names in it. Uh, but we can also, um, the Bible says Goliath was killed by David with a sling and a stone. Yeah. And so we, we know exactly what the Bible's talking about because they find sling stones all over Israel. And I've, I've probably found maybe eight or 10 sling stones, but I'm going to show you one. Okay. So this cool. is a sling stone. Now who would think that the sling stone that David slung at Goliath was that size? Describe the, the size. It's about the size of a tennis ball to a baseball somewhere mm -hmm. in that, in that range. So we're talking, and that's a big rock. Well, hold it's it in a your big fist. Rock. I would say, hold it in your, yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's a fist-sized stone. You hit right. somebody in the head with that, they're going to go down. Well, and the Bible says it sunk into Goliath's forehead. 
a small rock, you know, if you're the kind of slingshot we think about a, a sling and a stone, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't, it yeah, wouldn't little, sink yeah, into somebody's right. forehead. It would, it would hurt like the Dickens, but it wouldn't kill them. This, if it's slung, and we know from, from ancient history that they could sling these stones 120 miles an hour accurately. Mm-hmm. So if you got hit in the forehead by that stone at 120 miles an hour, it could kill you. It would kill you. I don't care how big you are. Right. All right. So, so this stone was found at Zoko, less than probably a hundred yards from where David and Goliath fought their battle. So I gotta, I have to say again, I love to imagine <laughs> these things. It's possible, not probable, but this was found in the exact vicinity where that battle took place. So that could have been the stone. You just, we don't know. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. That's so fascinating. So when we were talking off camera, we were talking, um, Lynn actually raised the question and she's saying, so does that mean do archaeologists ever use the Bible because of its detailed narrative to help them find and locate archaeological stuff then? They all use it. Okay. All, all of them use it. Not all of them trust it. Fascinating. So even though they may not trust the Bible, they're still willing to use it to help them in yeah. locating. So again, I got an example with some show and tell here for us. For <laughs> Okay, well, let's go back to Jericho. Okay. Because all archaeologists agree that Jericho is Jericho. Yes. But the, on- yeah. but the only text that names that city that they've ever found is the Bible. So they really? use the Bible okay. to say... Jericho is Jericho. And we know from the geography and we know from the archaeology, from everything about it, we know Jericho is Jericho. And they don't doubt that. But then when it comes to the actual story, biblical archaeologists, Christian archaeologists believe it. Secular archaeologists don't believe it. So when it comes to when it comes to the miraculous, they don't want to believe it. Yeah. They well, want they believe history, but the miracles they don't want to believe. And yet, as you talked about in the first episode, and we won't recover all that ground, go back, watch this, watch it, part one with Chip. You've got things like pottery, you've got things like burned grain, which were left behind because within the biblical narrative, part of the instruction for God saying, hey, here's how you're going to take down the city. This is what's going to happen. Do it this way, but also you don't plunder the city. So you don't take any of the food, you don't take any of the grain, you don't take any of the clothing, you don't take any of the spoils which was so totally countercultural. I mean, especially with food, why after conquering a city, would you not carry away as much of the usable food and grain that you possibly could? So the right. fact that you've got a city that's been destroyed, conquered, and huge amounts of grain left behind and burned, <laughs> I, there, it's hard to come up with an explanation other than the biblical narrative. So you've got biblical right. narrative that actually goes countercultural to what would have happened normally during that time period. Right. So we have another story that we love to talk about, which is the Assyrian conquest. Okay. And th- this story is is awesome because we have <laughs> we have the biblical account of it um, in Isaiah and in the Book of Kings. So we've got two different accounts of it in the Bible. All right. And we have the Assyrian account of it. So King Sennacherib. Oh. Yeah, so King Sennacherib, Mm -hmm. he created prisms that were uh, um, cuneiform language, um, prisms that he recorded his conquests of Israel on those prisms. So we not only have uh, a biblical text, we have a secular text that mirrors the biblical text. 
And so in that text, it talks like in the Bible, it says Sennacherib came into Judah and destroyed all of the fortified cities. Mm-hmm. In Sennacherib's text, he says, I came into Judah and I destroyed 46 of their strong walled cities. So we know exactly wow. how many from Sennacherib's text. We only know that he destroyed all of them in the biblical text. And then the last city that he destroyed was Lachish in the Bible. And Lachish is the city that he highlights in his throne room back in, back in, in um, Nineveh, where, he, where, he, uh, where his throne was. And so in Sennacherib's palace is a room that's dedicated to the conquest of Lachish in Israel, which was the second most powerful wow. city in Israel. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't want it to be the Lachish room. He wanted it to be the Jerusalem room. Because Jerusalem was really his, what he was going after, but he wanted to brag about something when he got home. So he bragged about conquering Lachish. Well, the Bible tells us that when he came to Jerusalem, he talked to the people who were on top of the wall that was surrounding Jerusalem. He mocked the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. He said, he said, all the gods of all the nations that we have conquered, none of them could save their country from our powerful army and your god won't be any different than those gods <laughs> yeah right and this is yeah. recorded in the bible all right, right. That, oh yes yeah so the bible tells us that that hezekiah who was now trapped in jerusalem uh sennacherib said he had the city sieged or surrounded so nobody could come in nobody could go out so so hezekiah is trapped in the city of jerusalem it's the last remaining fortified city in Israel and actually in the whole Middle East. They, they destroyed mm-hmm. all of the countries of the Middle East. So you've got one city left that from the Nile River all the way up into Mesopotamia, one city still standing that the Assyrians hadn't utterly destroyed. And Hezekiah took the letter, took it into the temple of God, laid the letters before God and said, Lord, if you don't fight for us, we're going to be we're, we're toast. We're done. We're going to be destroyed. So for your name's sake, fight for us. <coughs> then we have recorded in the book of Isaiah that a letter was sent to Sennacherib. And God told Sennacherib that because he had mocked his name, that he was going to put a hook in Sennacherib's nose and send him home the way he came. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're Sennacherib and you've got an undefeated army and you've wiped out everybody else and you've got one city standing left and the prophet of that city sends you a note and says yeah you better go home because if you don't we're gonna my, my god is going to attack you Sennacherib he would have not taken that seriously <laughs> no. right no the <laughs> so odds I'm, have been in his favor yeah he's right. top dog so uh-huh so um then god sent a letter to Hezekiah and he said don't worry about this man he's he's never going to shoot an arrow at the city He's never going to attack. He's never going to build a siege mound against your wall. I'm going to send him home the way he came. Mm -hmm. So this year, you don't have to worry about him. Next year, you can go out and plant your crops and uh, you'll be fine. And I'm sure that was comforting to Hezekiah. But I'll bet Hezekiah wondered, how in the world is God going to do this? Yeah. I mean, this massive army, they're undefeated. Nobody has ever defeated them. They've destroyed every city they set set out to destroy. And we're the only city left. How are you going to do this, God? And then the Bible says God sent his angel, which is the angel of the Lord, into the camp of the Assyrians, which 
I believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He went into the camp of the Assyrians, slew the army. The Bible says 185,000. When Sennacherib and his nobles rose in the morning, the whole army was dead corpses. So they went home. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. So the only thing Sennacherib doesn't mention in his prisms is that the God of Israel wiped out his army. <laughs> Which <laughs> makes sense. He's he's bragging. You know, this is a bragging yeah. stone to brag about his accomplishments. He's not going to say, yeah, the God of Israel wiped me out. So he left that part out. But um, less than 75 years later, Babylon destroyed Assyria. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that is it's unbelievable that they could have done that to, to a nation as, power, as powerful yeah. as Assyria. And man... And so in, well, Just think about say, this. Let's wrap up because once again we're at time chip. Oh. Wow! So I've got to conclude this though because okay. this is the yeah. this is the whole point. The archaeology supports that story, and every city has an Assyrian destruction layer except one. Jerusalem. So when you ask the archaeologists why, why didn't Sennacherib attack Jerusalem? He never even attacked. Why didn't he? Mm -hmm. They don't know, and they'll they'll say we don't know because yeah. they don't believe the miracle the Bible describes, but they know that. That he didn't attack and so they just say we don't know we see and, in his we see yeah. his destructions in every other city but not in jerusalem and having wow. seen lakish and seen hezekiah's tunnel and knowing this story was so impactful to me it's in the book unveiling grace chip because right. of you yeah. yeah very good wow yeah well, man, we're at the end of another episode. This has been fascinating. Thank you, Chip. And I know this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I'd like to hear Chip at some time tell us how um, these artifacts impact the Mormons that he's helping to Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chip, do you have time for another episode? Sure. So Chip, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing. And we're going to continue. We're going to do a part three. Oh, grace and peace. Until next <laughs> time, Joel. <laughs> Bye, so Chip. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Mm -hmm.